you blessed by that singing today? Wow, that was great. Thank you so much. You know, going into the Army and then later attending university were two of the biggest life-changing events of my whole life. Okay? Let me tell you why. When I left the relative safety and familiarity of home and family, it was sudden, I was suddenly plunged into a strange and unfamiliar environment of different people and different cultures. Now, imagine this, okay? I'm, a, I'm just a California boy coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I get transported all the way across the United States to the East Coast. And who should be in my group except these guys from New York and New Jersey, you know, stuff like that. Guys with tattoos in places I didn't even know you could put a tattoo, you know, and stuff like that. I met people from such varied backgrounds. I met people from the south. I met people from the north. I met people from all over the place. And guess what? They all thought differently, and they all lived differently. And here I was coming from the safe environment of San Francisco all the way into this. It was amazing. Sometimes I think back on my experience, and it was exciting. Sometimes it was exhilarating. And sometimes it was excruciating because you had to work with people from so many different backgrounds. I had to learn to bear with others who were different than me in my squad and in my study group. If we were ever to accomplish the mission or finish the assignment, I had to adjust. I just couldn't sit there and demand my own way. It just doesn't work that way. Now, in the local community of Christ, like GBC, there's similar principles. For example, we have to learn to bear with one another. This is a very important virtue to possess and to practice. It can't, go, it can't be held up as important enough, if you will, for our daily interactions with one another. This is why... The whole series of one, uh, of one another sermons is so important to us. It helps to adjust the, the balance between what we learn and how we live. Okay? Make no mistake about it. This is very intentional. All right? If we have too much theology on one side and not enough lifeology on the other side, we're like a wheel on a car that's unbalanced, and we're just going to wobble our way down the road and be subject to all kinds of things. And so it's so important that we grasp the truths that are contained in these one another messages. Well, where have we been? If you are just joining us now or rejoining us, it's helpful for you to know that this series of sermons is designed to build up the body of Christ, okay? To build up the body of Christ so it can be all that God wants it to be. We do this by setting the bar on how God wants members of the body of Christ to behave towards one another. It's like God is writing to us and saying, this is the gold standard. This is the gold standard of how a church ought to treat one another. Boy, that's, <laughs> wow, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. God doesn't do anything halfway. He goes all the way. And then it does this by showing us how to display the reality of Jesus Christ to the unsaved world. 
You know, the world out there is sitting there, the great majority of it is our non-believers, and they're looking at us, and they're saying to you, if that's what Christians are supposed to be, I don't want anything to do with them. But when we practice, when we live, and when we are the people of God, the way God wants us to be, they have nothing to complain about. They have nothing they can point to, all right? That we do this, we build up the body of Christ by how? Shaping a positive environment of faith, hope, and love for people to come to Christ and grow in their daily walk with Him. I would dare say, this is discipleship at its purest form, okay? This is discipleship in its purest form. Because you know and I know it's tough out there to live the Christian life. And we need all the help we can get. And so one of the ways is how we treat one another. Part of God's plans and purposes for us involves us relating to one another in the body of Christ. When we restore the fallen and reject and, and, and uh, um, when we restore the fallen and help the suffering, we know that we are on the right track. And so this is what these sermons have been designed to do, is to show us from God's word how we ought to treat one another according to God, okay? And so, I am reminded of the value of this great old quote that was used many, many, many generations ago when it talks about people who don't know God, people who don't care about God, and they run up against a Christian. And this is what they say. They say, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Oh, Boy, now isn't that amazing, you see? And that all goes back to the one another passages. It goes back to the one another passages. So let's go to our study this afternoon by turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And what we find in this passage, first of all, is an assumption. The assumption, okay? What is the assumption? Look at verse 1. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you... To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so Paul makes the assumption that those who are reading this have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have entered into this unique relationship as a child of God. And he says, now live like one. Like live like one. For some reason, we have this idea we can be a child of God, but live any way we want. We can live the way we were before we were children of God. Paul says, no such thing. He says, I implore you to uh, walk worthy. The word walk refers to your daily living and conduct. So he's not leaving anything to chance. He says, worthy, which refers to a living to, refers to living a lifestyle that matches one's position. Now, what is this position business? What is this position business? I, I thought that all I had to do was, was declare I'm a Christian, maybe go to church every once in a while, maybe twice a year, Easter and Christmas, and I fulfilled all my obligations. Is that what it means to be a child of God? No, you have a very special place. And where can we just discover some important details is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Listen to verse 12. It says in Colossians, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, 
put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what he's calling us to, he describes the believer and he says, you are chosen of God. Salvation happens by God's grace. We see this in the way he chose Israel. If you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to the first part of verse 8. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 to the first part of verse 8. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. You see, it was the love of God that chose us. We are a chosen people. God chose us. And then further in that verse, it says, you are holy, verse 12. Literally, this means set apart from the world unto the Lord. We're set apart, okay? And then he says, you are beloved. We are loved by God greatly, deeply. I don't know how you can possibly say it anymore. God loves you. Now, if we go to Colossians chapter, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, there's also adds another one. Uh, it says also in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 2, it says, uh, just as Lord forgave you, so also should, should you, okay? And that little statement there says that we are forgiven, forgiven of our sins. So, let's paint this picture a little more clearly. You have a unique position in the Lord. What is it? You are chosen, it says. You are holy, it says. You are beloved, it says. And you have been forgiven, it says. In other words, all our trespasses and transgressions against God are forgiven. Now, the forgiveness is complete. It is final. It is not conditional and it is not partial, as Warren Wiersbe likes to say. I learned so much to, when, I heard, when I saw this as he wrote this. It made so much sense. If you look over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, you, wear, you read these very blessed words. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions. Verse 14, having, uh, having uh, canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So whatever sin debt you and I had, it's been canceled. It's been canceled. This week, I got my credit card bill, and I was praying. I was hoping God would somehow cancel my debt to the credit card company. But after a few hours, it didn't happen, so I decided I better pay it, okay? But imagine the elation you would have, right, if your debt was canceled. And that's exactly what God did. Through Jesus Christ, he canceled out the debt. He nailed it to the cross. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, it was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So, when we accept Christ as our Savior and are spiritually born again into God's family, we take on new responsibilities, new ways of behaving towards others with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, if you are here for the very first time, or you've been here many times before, I know you Singaporeans like to say next step. What's the next step? The next step for you is if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, is to do so. How? A, acknowledge that you have transgressed, that you are a sinner, that you have transgressed and trespassed against God. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave for you, paying your sin debt. And then confess him, C, as your Savior and Lord. And then after you've made that decision, after you have made that decision, then you are to, like a newborn baby, go after the pure milk of the word so that you may grow, as found in 1 Peter chapter 2. Learn the nuts and bolts of your salvation and allow God to transform into, uh, into who you ought to be and how you ought to treat others inside and outside the community of Christ. You see, that's what it is. That's what it is. And it's all founded on what? On who you are in Christ. That's where it starts. Okay? So if you haven't started there, you can go to sleep the rest of the message because it, it won't apply much to you. You won't see much value in it. All right? But I hope you will stay awake because I want you to hear the rest of it. All right? So the next thing are the attitudes. The attitudes that have to go into this. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. And what does that say? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, he says. Now, attitudes are very important, okay? Attitudes are very important. Let, let me give you an example, okay? You know, I, I have a lot of kids. And so what happens is as they were growing up, you know, one kid would hurt the other kid or take something away from the other kid. So I would go to the offended kid, and I said, you need to apologize to your sister, okay? And no. No, 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 you really need to go. You really hurt your sisters, and, and you really did something wrong. So finally, after much cajoling and threatening and everything else, finally the, the offending daughter would go up to the other daughter and say, I'm sorry, you know? in that tone of voice, in that facial manner, you know, kind of. And sometimes they even say it with a clenched fist, I'm sorry, you know, kind of a thing. And I have to take them aside and it says, you know, what you said with your mouth and what your heart is feeling are two different things. And they would say, what do you mean by that? And I says, well, I don't think you really meant it. Your attitude wasn't right. And so then they would say, oh, okay. Then they would go back up to their sister, and they would say, I'm sorry. And they might even give them a hug or something like that, okay? So sweet, so sweet. There's peace in the universe again, you see. And so that, that's what would happen, you see. Attitudes are important. And so Paul gives us the attitude that we should have. And he says in verse 2, with all humility. We've seen this combination before. Humility to the Greeks and Romans. This was a practice only for the slaves. A, a Greek in his right mind, a Roman in his right mind, would never have humility. It wasn't in their vocabulary. 
All right? And so, humility is one of those strange birds, okay? It's not, it's, it's one of those things where, like one person said, when you know you have it, you've lost it. <laughs> Isn't that true? Humility is one of those characteristics. If you know you have it, you've lost it, you see? And so, humility is important, though. Now, this is not false humility. Uh, we know this from what? Romans chapter 12, and it tells us, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. So you've got to have balance. You've got to keep your feet on the ground here. You're not too low and you're not too high, okay? But you should do it accurately as God gives you the faith. So humility is one of those attitudes. Another one is gentleness or meekness. This was found in verse 2. Gentleness is not weakness, okay? Do you hear my enunciation? It is not weakness. It is power under control. It's being self-controlled. This word, in fact, is used of medicine or it's used of a horse that has been broken. It is used to refer to the wind. All three are very powerful, but they have to be controlled to be of any use, you see? And so he says, they have this attitude of gentleness. And then the third one is patience. This is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. The ability to endure discomfort and provocation without seeking retaliation or revenge. Wow, that's a new definition. I thought that when, that when I saw that one, I said, oh, this one is a good one. Okay. Um, I have to admit that, you know, people always ask me, how do you find Singapore? Well, it's on the map. You know, how do you find Singapore? You know, I know what they mean. They mean, how do I like Singapore? Okay. You could, you, there's a different way of saying it. Okay. And so you say, how do you like Singapore? And I said, oh, very nice. Very nice. You know. And then, I, and then they'll, they'll ask me, they'll, they'll sense there's something wrong, so they'll probe me a little deeper. How do you find Singapore? And when they ask me the third time, okay, I got it. So I says, well, one thing I've learned is I think Singaporeans are a little bit impatient. Impatient. Yeah. And then I'll give them an example of when I was driving to work, or I was driving home. And I'm, not ever going, I'm never going fast enough nor am I ever going slow enough, you know? People are very impatient. They'll go around you. They'll cut you off. They'll do all kinds of, they'll honk their horn, which I heard is a big no-no in Singapore. You don't honk your horn. It's not that you're scolding people. So I don't honk my horn. So what happens is that people are very impatient. People are very impatient. They have no time uh, for, for things. And so the lack of patience is quite obvious. But the presence of patience can make all the difference in the world. It can make all the difference in the world. And so there's a third, there's a fourth, there's a fourth attitude that we ought to take note of. And this is found in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your finger on Colossians, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And it's in verse 12. And it says, so as who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Heart of compassion. Now, this is tender feelings or, or sympathy. Tender feelings or sympathy. Now, so we put all this together. Humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion. 
Okay, you got this picture? Got this picture in your head? Now, guess what? That is a stark contrast to the world that we live in. Okay? I don't know what kind of world you live in, but the world I live in is not noted for these four things. All right? In fact, the world that you and I live in is quite the opposite. It is a world that is violent. It is a world that is harsh. And so the combination of these attitudes as a stark contrast is meant to help us shine the reality of Christ into a darkened world. And it is also given to us to keep unity in the body of Christ or in the family of Christ. So, the next time you or I feel like we need to scold somebody, we need to complain to somebody in the body of Christ. Check our attitude. Is our attitude one of humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion? Or is it the opposite? One way I put it is this way. One time, I, had, I have a lot, in my churches, I had a lot of business people, you know, and some of them are very high up, you know, and so... Uh, they're used to treating people a certain way, right? And so sometimes it carries over into the church. And so they're ordering people around and they're crit criticizing people like they would do at work. Sometimes it gets so bad, I have to take them aside. And I says, um, is this how you treat your employees? And they'll shock me. They'll say, yes, I have to. Well, they'll run all over me, you know. And I said, well, guess what? You don't have to do that in the church. Where does it say that? Then I'll turn them to Ephesians and Colossians, you see. God wants us to behave in the church differently than we, do, than we behave at work, if you will. In fact, it would even be better if the way we behave in the church is the way we behave at work. Now, wouldn't that be a kick? You see? But that's how serious God is about this. Be what God wants us to be by having these attitudes, humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion. <laughs> One businessman told me, and he, he says, yeah, but my way gets things done faster. Yeah, yeah. But then I've always lived by the idea, don't exchange short-term gains for long-term progress. But that's what we do, both in churches and in our homes and everywhere else. We pat ourselves on the back and we said, oh boy, did I get those people to do what I wanted them to do. But we forget the tremendous damage that has been done for a lifetime. Think about it. So the attitudes are important. And then next comes the acts. What are the opportunities to use these uh, attitudes? Well, he gives us two of them. Look at verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 4. 
And it says this, and it says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's the first one. The first opportunity is showing tolerance for one another. The term showing tolerance actually means holding up or holding back. It's giving patience time to work. All right? And so that's what he says here. He's telling it's in the present tense, and it means continuously or unconditionally is what he's saying. Can Colossians chapter 3 help us on this? Yes, it can. If you turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says it this way. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Well, what does Colossians uh, 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 tell us then? It says that we should be tolerant of one another, and it uses the, and addresses the who. It says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me anyone at any time in any position. It means the high, the low, and people in between. Okay, we don't leave anybody out here in this. doesn't matter how important. If I, as your pastor, behave inappropriately with somebody, you have every right to come to me and straighten me out. Because what? It says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Whoa. Now, that changes things, doesn't it? That changes things a little bit. But you see, the whole breadth, the high, the low, and the in-between. That's a situation these attitudes can come into play. The second opportunity comes as is listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. And it says this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the second opportunity is found in the meaning of the word diligent, being diligent to preserve. And it means to be eager to maintain, guard, or preserve the unity of the Spirit. And this, again, is written in a Greek in such a way that it means to constantly endeavor. Don't give up. Don't give up in trying to do this. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, people don't appreciate it. Yes, but he says keep on. Keep on with this. When we try and try and try again to keep the unity of God uh, that God has wrought in the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit, we will be mightily challenged. Now, some of you will remember that I said a few weeks ago that I was asked one time, what is the greatest challenge you face in the ministry? What was my answer? I said, dealing with change. By far, that's the hardest thing, dealing with change. What's the second most difficult challenge in ministry? It is dealing with humanity that gravitates towards disunity. That is one of the greatest challenges that the body of Christ faces. 
There are so many people with so many different opinions, so many different ideas. So, some are forceful, some are very quiet, but they all have different ideas of what to do. How do you keep this thing going? How do you keep the wheels on the bus? How do you keep this train on the tracks? How do you do it? You manage, you try to manage as best you can to guard, protect, and preserve the unity of Christ. There, these are the two situations where we must employ humility, gentleness, patience, compassion. We have to use those to make it happen. Well, that leads us to the fourth one in that section, and that is the appeals. Paul, as it were, just really reaches out to us and he says to us, please, 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 whatever you're going to do, keep these in mind, the appeals. And these are found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and Colossians chapter 3. And it says the first one is found in, first, uh, in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and it says, showing tolerance for one another in love, in love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, showing tolerance is linked with love. And this is not easy, okay? This is not easy. We hear all this talk about having to uh, love one another. And I'm sure that if you walked in the door of many churches throughout the world and in Singapore, you would hear a similar message about how we should love one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. But if we keep hearing that, why is it that we find it so difficult? Why is it that we try to avoid this like it's the plague? Why do we try to avoid it like it's a bad case of SARS? Okay? Well, may I present to you some that I picked up along the way. And that is, we avoid it because we fear getting hurt or being rejected. Okay? People have shared with me. I've experienced it too, that we fear being hurt or being rejected. We avoid it because we love ourselves more than others. The scripture tells us that. Okay? <laughs> I really don't want to love you. <laughs> I'm already in love with myself. <laughs> you know, something like that. Okay. Third reason, because we have feelings of personal inadequacies to love or to be loved. Have you ever met people like that? People who cannot allow you to love them nor can they allow themselves to love anybody else. Maybe it's something in their family, their upbringing. Maybe it's an unfortunate experience, a very hurtful experience. It could be any number of things. But that's why we try to avoid being in love with each other. And it can be true here in a church like ours, that because of some past experience, because of maybe some present experience. We don't love each other. Although we hear it all the time. We don't love each other. 
we truly don't love each other. And it's reflected in how we treat one another. What's the answer to that? Well, I wish I had a simple take a pill and call me in the morning kind of <laughs> answer, but I can't. All I can guide you to is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Whatever you do, brother, sister in Christ, endeavor to love others, but do it by walking in the Spirit. Stay close to the Spirit. And what happens when we stay close to the Spirit of God? The fruit of the Spirit comes. And you know what those are, love, joy, peace, and so on and so forth. Okay. You've got to surrender yourself to the Lord to make that happen. So, the first appeal was in love. Whatever you do, do it in love. The second appeal is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And what it says there is bearing with one another and forgiving each other. So he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. One of the toughest challenges in life is to tolerate individuals, <coughs> individuals or groups of individuals who offend, hurt, or sin against us or someone who means a lot to us. It's really difficult, don't you think? Have you ever experienced it? If you're still awake, nod your head. Okay, good. That's what happens, okay? And we're confronted with, that, with this, having to forgive people. And we can carry a grudge, before we know, and before we know it, we can be overtaken by sins, such as those mentioned in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. And what were some of those sins that were mentioned there in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9? It talks about anger. It talks about malice. It talks about all of these kinds of things. And before you know it, that's exactly what happens. Let me give you an example. We had a, in our church in Texas, we had a very angry brother in Christ. Angry like you wouldn't believe. You know, he walks in the door and you can see the fumes coming out of his head, you know. And he's just angry. So one day, I, I just had to... I took him aside and said, brother, I love you. What's, what's going on with your life, you know? And, and then he began to tell me, he says, I'm very angry at this other brother in Christ. Why are you angry at this other brother in Christ? And he said, because he made me lose face. Now, I was born in America. I, I, my, my, my whole outlook is more Americanized. And so losing face meant, what happened to your face? You know, I was that naive. And, 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 he, and he began to explain how he was so embarrassed. He felt disrespected. He felt dismissed. And he said, that is one of the worst things you can do to an Asian man, is to make him lose face in front of other people. And then he began to share with me more in depth what this involved. And I began to empathize with him. And I said, yeah, I can see where that really would get you angry. But 
God asks us to forgive others as God forgave us. That's what you pastors are supposed to say. No, that's what God says. And what God is trying to do when he says to forgive others is he's trying to warn us to not be overtaken by these other sins like anger and malice and so forth. Because he knows those are soul killers. And we can kill our souls by not forgiving others. Now, if we're on the other hand, we're the perpetrators, we shouldn't have done that in the first place. Shame on us. We shouldn't be provoking people. We should not be hurting other people. That's the other side of the coin. But God is saying to us to forgive other people. It's to time to bear with one another, to tolerate one another by forgiving others as God has forgiven us. If we heed these appeals to love and forgive one another, slowly we will see tolerance rise to a whole new level. Rise to a whole new level. Look, I don't know how much longer I have with y'all, okay? God only knows. I mean, I can go home today and get a bad case of heart attack or something. I don't know, all right? But if there's one thing I want to leave you with, is that we must love one another, okay? When I first came to GBC, many of you were very kind and very gracious. And you said, Pastor, what have you been praying for since you came to GBC back in 2009? Am I praying for great messages, great crowds of people, you know? Stuff like that, the usual. Am I praying for people to just, you know, fall on themselves coming down the aisle to accept Christ? Those are all good. Those are all good. Those are all good. I pray to God that God would give me a love for the people of GBC. Okay? Why? Because I dare to believe that if I had love for the people of GBC, I could serve them well. Okay? I can put up with all the shenanigans. I can put up with all the criticism. I can put up with this, the unhappiness, the disunity, the whole bit. But I had to love the people. And I asked God to give me a love for the people of GBC. Okay? Now you have it. That's the big secret. And of course, to forgive people along the way. Okay? Making it a reality. Forgive others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says it this way. It's another way of saying it. It says in 432, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Treat offenses against us as God has treated our offenses against him. 
Do I need to say that again? I think so. All right? Treat offenses against us as God has treated our offenses against him. Well, does God give us any indication whatsoever as to how he deals with our sin? Okay? How, what, is, how, what is it that he does that allows him to show up and be with us another day? If you look at Psalms 103, verse 12, it says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far, uh, so far has he removed our transgressions from sin. Wow. Amazing. And then if you go over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, he also says something similar. It's another uh, element that has to go into this forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So God has a way of separating us from our sin. God has a way of forgetting our sin. Wow. That's fantastic. How many of you know Corey Ten Boom? Okay, I, I, I knew I was going to date myself when I said this. Okay, Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian, okay? And what she did was her and her father helped Jewish people escape the Nazis during World War II. And so they would hide them, they would feed them, and they would get them out of harm's way. And so they did this. And for her troubles, she was arrested by the Nazis and thrown into the Nazi concentration camp where she experienced indescribable horror. Okay? Well, one day, she was giving her testimony. She was talking to a group of Christian people. And she was talking about forgiveness. And if anybody knew about forgiveness, it's her. Okay? Because she talks about having to forgive one particular concentration camp guard and she said he did unspeakable things but God taught me I had to forgive him well she came down off the platform and, and, and she was a bit melancholy and so a dear friend came by her and said what's wrong Corey are you feeling okay and she says I just remembered I haven't forgiven everybody and so the friend said can I help so they returned to her house, they returned to her study, and Corey began to share with her friend. And she said, there was this group of people who have been writing me for years and have been seriously criticizing me and seriously hurting me, and I can't forgive them. So she went over to her desk, she pulled out the drawer, and in it, she had all these letters that pe these people had written her with all these horrible things. And one by one, she started bringing them out, and she showed them to her friend. She said, see, 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 see how bad it was? Her friend was very mature spiritually. You know what her friend said? Her friend said, you've got to treat those sins just like God treats our sins. You've got to commit them to the deepest part of the sea. You've got to separate yourself from them as far as the east is from the west. You know what Corey did? You know what Corey did? You know what Corey did? 
she burned them. Every last one of them. And so sometimes I think that that's what we need to do with some of the stuff we've been carrying around for years and years and years and years and years. We need to throw it into the crucible that God puts in front of us and just let them go. We need to forgive others if we're going to make it a reality. Number two, we need to love others. We need to love others. First Peter, I mean, First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In our relationships, even in our marriages and beyond, we need to love one another. I find it interesting that when couples come to me and they say they want to get married, they often ask me for a scripture passage. And I'll say, well, do you have one in mind? And they say, no, that's what we're talking to you for, you know. And, and then they usually, when they put to the task, they'll come up with First John or they'll come up with First Corinthians chapter 13. But guess what? First Corinthians chapter 13 doesn't have anything to do with marriage in the context. It just talks about general relationships with people. And it says, let us love one another, basically. And in verse 4, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. And love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love does. There was one preacher who someone recorded, and they said, I heard a great quote from the pastor who was doing a marriage. What was the quote? The quote was this. He looked at the couple, and he said, it is great that you love each other. But if you're going to be happy in marriage, you got to work at it. I thought that was pretty cool. It's not enough that we love each other, but we have to work at loving each other. And this is the same that is true whether it is the husband or wife or it's the parent and the child or whether it is the pastor and his congregation or whether it's the leaders and the parishioners or whether or not... It's the care group leader and his care group. Got to love one another, folks. Got to love one another. And then it becomes a reality. Lovingly and forgivingly show tolerance to one another. And that's what the Bible has been saying to us for the last umpteen minutes. Let me read it one more time in the New Living Translation. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Wow. 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 That's what God wants us to be and do. To make GBC the community that God wants it to be, God's people at GBC have got to be what God wants them to be 
and to do, which is what? Showing tolerance for one another in love. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Then do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please forgive us that we in turn may be able to forgive others. Yes, you already died on the, sent your son to die on the cross for us and to cover our sins, and we understand that, and we so much deeply are thankful for that and praise your name. But Lord, also, in our daily life, our fellowship with you is broken because we carry around so much unforgiveness. And it's like a thing that is stuck in our plumbing. It doesn't allow the proper flow of things. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to forgive one another and help us to truly love one another. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I gotta believe that there's some of us out here today who have heard God's word and we're willing to take it to heart. Is there someone that you need to love is there somebody you need to forgive? And are you willing to love and forgive? If so, would you please just raise your hand and put it down? I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down the aisle. Or just raise your hand and put it down. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Father, you've seen these hands and you've seen the ones that wish they could raise their hand.